0: Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. With me today are Wayne Buscelli and Marty Irby. Wayne is the founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty is its executive director and chief lobbyist in Washington, DC. You can read their complete extensive bios on our website, animalwellnessaction.org. And and if you've listened to the other episodes, you'll know that normally the bios are longer, especially for Marty. Uh, We had tense negotiations with Marty's agent, Uh, And we finally got permission to put it on on the website. So Marty, humility you displayed, uh, you know, uh, is just amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Marty.
1: (laughs) Glad to be here, Joe. Yeah,
0: but, you know, it's not completely gone away because you called me literally an hour ago and said, we want to record today. So I'm a little upset with that because I just had my hair cut in preparation of my big Valentine's Day date. And now with my headset on my... Quaff. It's um. It's going to be a must. So I'll, yeah. I'll send you a can of Consort hairspray. Well, it won't do me any good about for that tonight. It won't. It won't do me any good <laughs> At any rate, there's short notice, Marty. But that's okay. I love you, and and you know, I love you. That's all I'm going to say. And Wayne, I love you too. Okay, so we don't have any guests this this week. So it's just going to be the three of us. And I think that's cool because I always enjoy my conversations when we're able to focus specifically on Wayne and Marty. They impart a lot of wisdom. Uh, The repository of knowledge in in each of their noggins is amazing. So uh, what I hope we can do is start off with uh, getting an uh, update from Marty on the progress of the Horse Racing Integrity Act. Uh, And then I want to talk about a story uh, that relates very much to the intersection of animal welfare and uh, human health and welfare. And that is the coronavirus. Wayne has some very fascinating things to say about that. So, uh, Marty, how are our equine friends faring uh, just down the street from you on Capitol Hill?
1: Yes, very well. Thanks, Joe. Our last episode, we had Stacy and Arthur Hancock from Stone Farm in your home state of Kentucky on, leading up to the hearing on the Horse Racing Integrity Act in the U.S. House of Representatives, H.R. 1754. Just wanted to update folks that we had a really terrific hearing. Even the opposition witnesses by the end of the hearing were saying, yes, we need something to change. We need legislation, even if we need to make a few minor changes to the bill that we have before the Congress. So we really believe that we have something that will get moving in the upcoming months and should easily pass the House of Representatives. We now have 240 co-sponsors of 435 members of the House and 25 co-sponsors in the US Senate. So we're really excited about that bill and looking forward to passing another one.
0: Um, Okay, Uh, and then the other thing that I do wanna spend a little bit more time on is the coronavirus. Uh, The coronavirus, like the SARS virus that uh, peaked around 2002, 2003, uh, is what I've learned recently is a, a type of disease called a zoonotic Disease. It is a disease that uh, starts in uh, the animal kingdom and then through close approximation or approximation rather with humans uh, in various circumstances, it can eventually modify or be modified genetically to be able to grow inside a human host and spread from uh, there. Uh, Wayne, you and I have talked about this. I know you know a lot more about it than, than I do. If I set you up at least properly in terms of what the basis of this is.
2: Sure. Yes, Joe, thank you for for uh, hosting another episode of The Political Animal. And this issue dramatically underscores one driver of animal action. Our mission is helping animals helps us all. And if you look at so many of the issues that we focus on when we're good to animals, there are often good outcomes for people. I mean, just mentioning the horse racing issue, when horses break down at the track, there's a jockey on the back of the horse, and both are put in in peril and at risk because of the doping that is occurring on race day in horse racing. Uh, So that's a human welfare issue as well. This is about as dramatic a human welfare issue as as you can find. We have an epidemic, possibly a pandemic, when you have a a new zoonotic disease that is transmissible from person to person that is rapidly being transmitted, infecting tens of thousands of people, killing hundreds of people uh, with the potential for those numbers to increase in a, a very sizable way you've got a class 1A public health issue for the planet. Uh, what is important, uh, and there's been some, some good reporting on this, but uh, it's not the feature of all the reporting, is the origin of this. It appears certain that it was live animal markets, what are known as Chinese wet markets, where animals are sold, domesticated animals, uh, you know, like ducks or chickens, but also wild animals sold at these markets to be slaughtered right in front of the purchaser or to be taken home live and then to be slaughtered at home. It appears, you know, based on some of the initial findings that pangolins, which are a uh, small uh, uh, animal that happens to be the most trafficked animal in the world, may have been the vector for the jump of this particular uh, strain of corona- coronavirus from non-human animals to humans. And you rightly noted, Joe, that in 2003, there was an outbreak of, of uh, SARS, which is a respiratory uh, virus that killed hundreds of people, infected thousands, had a pretty high mortality rate for those who were were afflicted by it. It appears that started in wild animals called civet cats. And at that time, there was a, a major hue and cry in China and across the world to stop animal trading at these live animal markets. It's typically a delicacy for the richest people uh, who who have this taste for biodiversity. And the small benefit that these people may yield from having this preferred taste of a wild animal hardly uh, you know compares with the risks associated with it with people dying in the community uh, in the nation of China and potentially throughout the world with billions or trillions lost in the economy as a consequence of all the remedial efforts that are made to address the epidemic or the pandemic This is just madness. It shouldn't have happened again. Those live animal markets, the wet markets, at least involving the sale of wild animals, should have been shuttered. They weren't. And now there's a tremendous amount of criticism in China about the failure to permanently close these markets, because this is not outsiders saying, oh, my God, you're threatening us. It's people in China saying, we're the ones who are first at risk. We're the first victims of an insane policy that allows wild animals to be farmed or to be gathered from their native habitats with the animals often showing up in these cages stacked uh, at, the, at the wet markets with bruises and bloodied because of the torments that they endured to get there. So Joe, this is an example when we mistreat animals, we really do do something wrong to uh, our fellow human beings as well.
0: You talk about resistance or objection coming within China. Uh, More than 60 million people, I've heard, are quarantined, essentially limited to their homes, not allowed to work. Uh, You've already had some local officials in the Wuhan and the Hubei province, uh, the city of Wuhan, uh, who are falling, uh, you know, the very uh, continuation of um, Xi Jinping's regime could be challenged by this, so they're bound to be taking it seriously. I wonder, though, if it's just such a, a prominent part of their culture that it may be uneliminatable. Whether it's just something that, that it's just going to exist, notwithstanding that. Do you perceive that to be an option? Or?
2: No, I don't. I don't think it's that embedded. I think it's a it's a relatively modest practice in terms of the scale given the size of China. With 1.3 billion people. I think a relatively small number of people uh, eat these wild animals. I think there are a relatively small number of markets. If it's in the hundreds, that's a lot, I think. And I I can't imagine that any uh, serious-minded person would say we want to continue this after the SARS epidemic and now the coronavirus epidemic. I mean, look at the numbers. As you said, 60 million quarantined uh, billions in, in health costs, a thousand dead, tens of thousands infected. I mean you have a a major cruise liner that is docked in Japan where thousands of people are on the on the cruise ship and they can't get off. Uh, last I heard 175 people on on that ship were infected. The whole cruise industry is put at risk because people are paranoid that if one or two people you know, have have uh, the virus. It could spread in that in that close-in environment where you have thousands of people clustered on these lines. I mean, this is a threat to the global economy. What I pointed out in my written political animal is the risks and the rewards couldn't be more asymmetrical. The risks are gargantuan in terms of loss of human life, loss of trillions of dollars, disruption of the economy. The rewards that you have a peculiar tasting animal in your mouth that you savor for three or four seconds for each bite. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And frankly, I'd be surprised if the Chinese authorities don't put an end to these live animal markets, which is not to say that some people won't have a clandestine uh, commercial pathway to do this, uh, but they won't be open air markets. You know, let's think of these open-air markets as well you know, when we think about uh, the dog and cat meat issue a- as well, and, and uh, butchering uh, dogs and cats right in front of people to consume that product. I mean, this has been a part of the experience of many Chinese communities, but many Chinese who are concerned about animal welfare and concerned about human welfare are saying, this all must end. This is madness. And let's just look broadly, 70% of, of the diseases that afflict humans jumped from animals, non-human animals to us. Of course, we know about AIDS, which has killed more than 30 million people globally since the uh, outbreak in the uh, 1980s that you know really went global. But the thought is it started in, in chimpanzees. People were eating chimpanzees in the bushmeat trade, and that's when it it jumped the species barrier and then became a global pandemic. Monkeypox started in prairie dogs. We've had bird flu uh, that started from domesticated animals, from chickens. Cockfighting birds have been a big vector for a number of avian influenza concerns that have been registered with public health authorities, as well as agricultural authorities. The Ebola virus uh, really started, again, from consuming animals. We talked about SARS, which was probably civet cats. Bats have been an important vector. I mean, this is just playing Russian roulette with our health to start eating wild animals. And uh, we, we need to, to stop uh, doing it, uh, especially through the venues of these uh, uh, Chinese wet markets. They are incubators of uh, epidemics and potential pandemics.
0: The mad cow disease is also something. It's it's not a virus or a bacteria. It, it's uh, a prion, I think they're called. Uh, but nonetheless, that has also crossed uh, the the barrier. Uh, am I correct?
2: Uh, you are. You are. And uh, that that you you noted the prion as a distinctive sort of um, pathway from from animals to to humans, but. That became in the United Kingdom uh, you know, a couple of decades ago a very big concern. We had concerns in the United States, uh, of course, about mad cow disease, and that was a case where you know the primary uh, animals who were who were uh, at risk were the so-called downer animals, the cows that were too um, impaired to walk, and the thought was they had this neurological disease. Uh, mad cow disease that manifests itself in humans in creutzfeldt jakob disease. And, you know, people died from that as well. And you can have, you know, small numbers of human victims with some of these uh, prob- health issues that cross the species barrier. It could be millions, you know, going back to the Spanish flu um, in, in 1918 or so. So this, is, uh, this has been a, a big part of the human story. And one lesson of that human history is we do some of this mixing with other animals at our peril. And there are appropriate uh, forms of our relationship with animals, and there are some that are totally inappropriate. And taking all manner of species from the wild and then eating them and incubating these problems in overcrowded, filthy, bloody, feces-laden wet markets is a prescription for human health problems and it's liquidating wildlife. I mean, you know, if you have if you have millions and millions of people who do consume wild animal products, it doesn't take that much to drive already rare species over the precipice and into, you know, their rarest form or toward extinction. So this is why, Joe, we are very deeply concerned about other forms of consumption, including uh, wild animal parts for potions in traditional Chinese medicine. We know that, that this is, again, not a disease threat issue, but it's human consumption of wildlife products driving the extinction of species. We've known about people killing rhinos for their horns because the horns are are grounded up and powdered and put in in drinks, you know, for certain purported remedies in traditional Chinese medicine, that is a tremendous threat to the few thousand rhinos who survive in Africa and just hundreds who survive in Asia. And now we at Animal Wellness Action are very concerned about bears many species of bears there are eight major species of bears in the world being killed for their gallbladders and the gallbladders are dried and powdered kind of like they do with the rhino horns and they're they're used as a potion as well in traditional chinese medicine well the bears cannot afford this exploitation many of these bear species are already severely at risk and that's why we at awa marty and i and the rest of our team are promoting the Bear Protection Act, which has been introduced in both chambers of Congress by Congressman Ted Liu of, of California, uh, Democrat Rodney Davis of Illinois, uh, a Republican, along with his colleague Glenn Thompson, a Republican of uh, Pennsylvania, and Ann Custer, a Democrat of New Hampshire. And then on the Senate side, uh, John Kennedy, a Republican of Louisiana, and Cory Booker, a Democrat of New Jersey have introduced this legislation to stop this killing of bears just for a part of their body. And uh, we're hoping to get this legislation passed in 2020.
0: You know, you were talking about, you know, uh, the wet markets. And I think it sounds probably just very odd and and barbaric to many uh, in the United States. but philosophically it's no different than going into a grocery store and watching the little lobsters sw- swim around and picking out the lobster you want to have killed or take home live to kill yourself. I mean, it, they're essentially the same, albeit different animals.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, think about, you know, butchers, you know, we we, we don't have as many butcheries as we used to in the United States, but it, you know, way back when, uh, Uh, you know, a century ago. I mean, many of the farm animals were were held live in the cities. I mean, before refrigeration, uh, you know, we kept the animals pretty close to the consumption markets. It was when we developed uh, interstate transportation with the railroad and we developed refrigeration that we really became much more separated from the process of slaughtering animals and then consuming them. But you know we've been killing animals in close proximity to us for an awfully long time, especially in urban centers, and it still happens. I mean, in the United States, we do have live animal markets in Chinatowns. In in the United States, uh, we do have have the lobsters that are offered up right in front of us, and and uh, then they're put into a pot of boiling water. In the back, there are many other forms of of this where we're taking animals who were kind of living and breathing and blinking right in front of us. And then we, we kill them for, um, you know, for consumption.
0: And, I, and I've seen videos too. Uh, and I've forgotten the dish and in the country of its origin where fish are put on the plate and, and they're still, they're still animated. They're still alive and then are consumed right there. Am I imagining that? Is that just some sort of surreal nightmare or does that Wayne ring a bell? No, they be?
2: they're, they're well, there are many strange culinary traditions. I mean, there are people who eat this whole bird. They put a napkin over their head. Uh, it was an episode of the show Billions where they, they take this particular bird species and consume it. And no, you're not imagining it. I do think that there is a a distinction between the wild animals who are, who are sold and butchered or brought home and, and then butchered and, and eaten and the domesticated animals, um, the fish, of course, are their own category, right? Because you know, fish are wild animals for the most part, um, whom many people consume. Uh, there is aquaculture, fish farming, but these are wild varieties of salmon and 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 other other animals. Uh, the The process of domestication has gone on for thousands of years with cattle and pigs and and chickens and goats. And that, you know, is a little bit of a different thing, which is not to say there are not major human health issues associated with that. We've talked on the show previously about the overuse of antibiotics in our factory farms, these overcrowded facilities that cluster so many animals and you know have them them side to side. And because it's it's so overcrowded and because the animals are stressed and disease can spread in that kind of environment we give animals antibiotics before they're sick and that you know overall we're feeding 80 percent of all antibiotics that are used in society to animals on factory farms when they're not sick and we're told not to do this when it comes to our own use of antibiotics don't overuse them because you will develop antibiotic resistance and render the antibiotics useless when we need them for our survival. So there are many public health components to this food issue, and it, you know it's a little bit risky to kind of bundle them all together, but I think it is appropriate to talk about them in terms of gradations of risk. And when you're talking about factory farms incubating um, pathogens, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, that, that then could course through our populations without our having any medical remedy. Or if you're talking about some new problem like the coronavirus or SARS, when we don't have a remedy for that, and that could also course through the population. You're, you're talking pandemic-level threats that threaten our economy in the most fundamental way it threatens our normal living patterns in the most fundamental way. It threatens our lives. I mean, it's about as basic as it gets. And, you know, I've said before, humans sometimes treat this animal welfare a question. Oh, well, don't we have more important things than talk about animal welfare? Well, my argument has been that animals have been at the center of the human experience from the very beginning of the human story. They've never been more central to our story than now and we're seeing that story play out in real time when we do idiotic things like having uh, live animal wild wet markets where people exchange money for for animals bodies and then consume them
0: and, in, and as we not only bring animals into our markets for the purposes you just described but as we continue uh, as a species to invade Uh, their lands, the animals' lands, as we dig deeper into the rainforest. Uh, Many people say it's a matter of time before we reach something that has not been in contact with humans before and presents us with a like or worse problem. Uh, It's the stuff of science fiction, you know, nightmares.
2: Sure, right. And then there's also just the the destruction of biodiversity. I mean, many of the plants and, and other species are actually quite central to our our public health strategies, many of the things that have been discovered out there have actually been a boon and been beneficial to human health. So when you look at it from another perspective, as we liquidate uh, wild animals and plants, you know, we may be putting ourselves at a different kind of risk. And, you know, when you put the whole planet's health systems, the atmosphere and the water uh, cycle uh, when you, you know, court drought, I mean, these are, these are as fundamental to human well being and survival as, as it gets. And I think it's important for us as we conduct public policy, uh, work and think about, you know, solutions to problems. We also think about preventing problems and, you know, good policy prevents problems. And that's what we're trying to Achieve here by banning these wild animal markets by not overusing uh, the limited class of antibiotics that are that are central for our public health uh, systems and treatments and you know as a as a general matter you know stop consuming wild animal parts for traditional Chinese medicine uh, you know remedies that are of dubious value to human health. We don't need rhino horn to survive. We don't need powdered gallbladder from bears to survive. We do need the antibiotics to survive.
0: Right. Um, And Marty, I, I say, you know, just being concerned about the coronavirus that you are wearing your Dolce and Gabbana face mask.
1: I will be I will be next week when I go out of town for the first time since this has hit. You know, I was thinking as you guys were talking, if you happen to be traveling from Wuhan, China with the coronavirus over to Alaska by plane and your plane crashes like what happened to Anthony Hopkins in the movie several decades ago, The Edge, where he's out hunting a bear, then this legislation would not impact your ability to go out and hunt a bear to be able to survive so hunters that might have concerns um, you know we, we always hear that fallacy that that's an issue and that's not really the case here this would not prevent people from actually hunting for their purposes of utilizing all of the bear part
0: right the, the, the slippery slope and, and all of that so well, it's good to know but I have to say that if I crashed and I knew I had the coronavirus, I would probably let the bear have me, because I'm that kind of guy. I would just say, go ahead, because I'm going to die anyway.
1: I would, too. I would, too.
0: All right, good.
1: You know, Uh, Joe, I think what's important also is that, I don't know that we've mentioned this, but there are 40 state laws on the books that address this trade, and, you know, in Colorado, someone might face up to three years in prison and a $100,000 fine. but in your home state of Kentucky, as we have found out with many other issues, they might only have like a $100 fine that they have to pay if they were to kill a bear. So um, across the board, it doesn't seem really fair if that occurred in Kentucky versus Colorado. And even under the federal Lacey Act, sometimes people have brought that up in meetings that we've had. Um, The courts only attribute the value of a gallbladder to about $280, which they sell for much much more thousands sometimes but that's below the threshold of 350 dollars for prosecution so just something to think about there as it relates to your home state and probably many others
0: well we just well, went speaking up, i just i gotta defend kentucky wayne hold on a second because we just went up from worst in the nation to 47th out of 50 in a ranking of how our state fares uh, in animal uh, regulations and laws so knock us all you want, but we're number 47. No, that's great. Yeah, we're I number know that. 47 with a bullet.
2: Yeah. And
0: um, one of our well, legislators actually has um, uh, a bill uh, proposed that would finally allow veterinarians, not require them, but allow veterinarians who are currently prohibited from doing so, to report suspected animal abuse. So we may be 46 by the time uh, the, the, the 2020s are over. When, hey, you could be a, a
1: decade of being 50th. I am proud of you. And I fought you could be number one by like
2: 2095 or something at this pace, at this brisk pace of climbing the charts. Let me also say about Kentucky while we're, while we're picking on Kentucky. uh, You know, I want to note that 20 years ago, Senator McConnell before he was the majority leader of the Senate was the author of the bear protection act. And he actually succeeded in getting this passed in the Senate twice But it was blocked by a U.S. House member who served then, who's still serving now. He's the oldest member of the House, Representative Don Young of Alaska. And if you go into his office, he has a grizzly bear pinned to the wall uh, right as you walk into the office. Even though the Bear Protection Act forbids the sale of bear gallbladders and other internal viscera, uh, and he apparently was, you know, hunting grizzly bears for trophies, and has supported polar bear trophy hunting. We don't quite know why he opposed this effort on the bear gallbladders, but the thought is now that he's in the minority, he's a Republican, the Democrats now control the chamber, that we can actually get this passed, which is why Marty and I and the rest of the animal wellness team, with you, Joe, are urging our supporters to contact their two u.s senators and their representative to urge them to support and to co-sponsor the bear protection act versions in the house and senate again senators john kennedy and Cory booker have introduced the senate bill and representatives ted Liu and rodney davis with two of their colleagues have introduced the house bill this is a doable bill and again, Senator McConnell was actually the architect of this measure 20 years ago. The about time for us to get it passed through both chambers.
0: Okay, guys, um, a shorter podcast than, than usual, but I, I know both you guys have, have big Valentine's Day plans. I, I did. I do have to re shower and redo the hair before I go, so I, I got to break up here early. Uh, but it, I think it's, it's been a really interesting Topic. Certainly, the coronavirus is leading uh, the news in so many ways. The number of outbreaks recorded on a day-by-day basis recently went up, despite, I guess, faulty optimism that the incidence of new cases in China and elsewhere was slowing. We had the biggest gain in cases uh, ever. Uh, really interesting stories surrounding North Korea and what may be happening there, of course, sharing a border with China, uh, what's happening uh, with that. Uh, And then, and then two, our our discussion about, um, you know, the Bear Protection Act. And one of the things the bears need protecting from is their slaughter for an organ uh, that has no scientifically demonstrated uh, medical benefit whatsoever. Um, It just reminds me that just because we have uh, dominion, uh, because we, we have the ability to use animals, again, not only should we not to benefit them, but because the breach of that fiduciary duty can and will and is right now ignoring to meaningful harm, of of humans uh, the economic loss uh the 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 inconveniences notwithstanding the the suffering uh and, and the in the thousand plus deaths we've seen we may get out of this one by the skin of our of our chinny chin chin um uh, but it's just a matter of time i would say being perhaps a little bit more alarmist than you reasonable guys uh, might be that it's a matter of time before we do look at something that crosses the barrier from animal to human animal uh, and and results in, in millions of deaths, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of our own kind.
1: Yeah, thanks, Joe. I would just uh, encourage everyone again, as Wayne said earlier, to call your members of the U.S. House and call your members of the U.S. Senate at 202-225-3121. Again, 202-225-3121. And ask them to co-sponsor the Bear Protection Act, that's H.R. 2264 in the U.S. House and S. 3196 in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, Joe, I would just say thanks again
2: to you for, for hosting. And I think that this show, along with many others, shows us that animal protection is not an isolated or siloed concern. It is an issue that crosses so many boundaries uh, in terms of our ethical concern and so many animal issues are right in front of us as human health and welfare issues. Uh, you only need to understand the crime that occurs at dogfights and cockfights. You only need to understand how Chinese wet markets threaten to unleash pandemics. only understand that factory farming emits massive loads of waste into our environment that uh, makes us sick and hurts other species and kills fish, Uh, that uh, at these same factory farms we have massive overuse of antibiotics that threaten these classes of essential uh, medical treatments for uh, young people and older people and everybody in between so helping animals helps us all that is a message of animal wellness action and this is not an issue of our saying well let's help animals and you know the heck with the people when we help animals we do help people
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. I've been your host, Joseph Grove. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org to find out about all of our legislative efforts, subscribe to our newsletters, and link up with our social media channels. Want to subscribe to this podcast? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and we'll be back real soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.